Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Marcella. And we are both transracial and transnational adoptees, as well as licensed clinical social workers and trauma therapists. We have dedicated our lives to shedding light on the complexities of adoption and the systems responsible for them. We have seen both personally and professionally the silent and overt struggles brought on by this trauma, and we are determined to do our part to bring about healing. We know that some of the information we share and topics we unpack may be triggering and uncomfortable at times, but we feel the only way to promote change is to be honest by sharing our truths and elevating the voices of those in our community. We hope you will join us on this journey of listening and learning with an open heart and an open mind. Welcome to Adoptee's Dish. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Adoptee's Dish. This is Amy. And this is Marcella. Thank you all for joining us for another episode. We're really excited to be back. It's been kind of a crazy start to 2024, and we were offline for a little bit with the holidays and all of the hustle and bustle, so we're really excited to be back with all of you. Yeah, I want to wish everybody a happy new year. I can't believe we're already cruising through January. I feel like time is absolutely flying. I hope that everyone's been staying healthy. I know in my house, we've gotten pretty much every possible germ I think that's floating out there. So just want to um, send a lot of well wishes and, and healthy vibes to everybody who's tuning in. And we are super excited because our very first episode for 2024, we have an awesome guest today, Patrick Armstrong, and we want to welcome him. I'm sure a lot of you tuning in have already um, been following him on Instagram and on all the socials or maybe even tune into his own podcast. But Patrick, welcome. Thanks for being here. Amy, Marcella, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and excited to be the first episode of 2024. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh, that'll be your claim to fame for this year. <laughs> I love it. I'm putting it right in my Instagram bio, putting it in my LinkedIn bio. <laughs> Check out Adoptee's Dish, episode one, 2024. Yes, love it. Amazing. Love it. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for that support. No, we're, we're super happy to have you here. And when we were putting together a list of who we really want to connect with and, and have on the show, you were like, one of the first names. We just really oh. admire the work that you do and the voice and the presence that you take up in our community. You're just such a symbol, I think, of advocacy and identity and authenticity. So we're just really excited to connect with you. But um, for those of our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with you or your work, do you mind just starting us out by letting us know who you are and what's bringing you to the work that you do for our community? Yeah. First off, let me say thank you for those kind words. That really means a lot to me. Uh, it's still strange for me to hear those types of compliments and be like accepting them as compliments. Yeah. So thank you for saying that. I've been following both of you, I feel like, for a while and this podcast for a while. And I could say reciprocate all of those compliments back to y'all. So it's an honor for me to be here. For folks who don't know me, my name is Patrick Armstrong. He, him pronouns. I am currently based in Indianapolis, but I was adopted from South Korea in 1990 to a white family in rural Indiana, very small town, grew up there, um, had what most people would probably describe as a positive adoption experience, um, and I'm sure we'll dig into the non-positive aspects of that in a little bit, but ended up going to Purdue University in West Lafayette for a couple years, ended up dropping out of Purdue University because I felt like I was wasting not just my own time, but everyone else's time because I had a big old ego on me at that point. And also was just in a deep rejection of my identity, which was making me feel like I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing or what I even was doing. Mm -hmm. And so worked a lot of different jobs, um, was in Indianapolis a lot, ended up living in San Diego for a year, was in Houston for a few months, always found myself coming back to Indianapolis which is where I ended up um, connecting with my wife, who grew up in a small town pretty close to my own. And we ended up moving to Chicago together in late 2018 and lived there for the next two and a half years. And then at the very beginning of the pandemic, we decided that we wanted to move back closer to home, came back to Indianapolis and have been there since May of 2020 or been here, I suppose. And... Uh, it was a little bit later, about a month later, when I had my coming to consciousness moment um, mm. and started everything that has led me now to be sitting down with you two today. Uh, I'm currently the host of two different podcasts. One of them is The John Chi Show, which started in September of 2020. I host that with KJ Relke and Nathan Nowak, two other Korean adoptees. And it's generally about the Korean adoptee experience, but we've recently expanded to be a little bit more broadly about the Asian American adoptee experience. And I also host Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. It is a show about the missing pieces of the conversations we already have. So a very 
broad in scope in terms of who I can talk to and what we talk about, but very focused on those types of conversations. Um, do a lot of podcasting, do a lot of speaking, do a lot of now writing on social media. Um, you can find me doing all of these different things at various times. And right now I'm gearing up to welcome our first child into the world in a couple weeks as of this recording. So I'm not sure when this comes out. I might be a dad whenever that is, but yeah, (laughs) that's a little bit about my story and thank you. We are very excited. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's about it. The abridged version, I suppose. Yeah. Right. It's always hard to like, how do I put this in a nutshell? Because it's there's a lot of complexities and layers there. But thank you so much for sharing uh, that with all of our listeners and with us. It's, it's interesting to hear you talk because I think you you pull on something that so many of us adoptees can relate to, which is even if we're in the consciousness or have that moment or not, that there's still so much stuff that's right there bubbling under the surface that's impacting our worldview and the decisions that we're making and how we're moving and grooving throughout the world. So thanks for even just like highlighting that and and showing that and and the bravery for, you know, going through all these big revelations and having these big moments of these big aha moments and having the bravery to share that wisdom and those insights with other people. And that takes a lot of courage and a lot of um, bravery to expose yourself in that way. So I really appreciate it because I know that you opening up those channels of communication are just helping other people feel seen and other people feel like this, this experience is more normalized for them. So it's amazing. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. 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 There was so much about what you said that I resonated with and I was jotting down notes and I was even just noticing as you were talking about, you know, your own story of, you know, it's really hard to know where you're going unless you're able to kind of like, you know, it's such a cliche, you know, phrase, but like there really is such truth to it of like you have to know your roots and where you come from and be able to embrace all of those things in order to be able to have, you know, a clearer shot forward. And I think that it sounds like you have really embodied that, of you know, uh, over the course of your of your journey, but it's also not an easy journey as all of us sitting here know. And I'm sure that there have been many, many ups and downs. I'm curious though, because all of us as adoptees go through our own journey, whether that leads to a coming to consciousness moment or maybe not, but not all of us, um, like us sitting here, choose to put it on a platform, right? And put it out there and share that on like a big level. And I'm curious for you, like, why was that important for you to do the work that you're doing instead of like, you know, what a lot of people do when there's nothing wrong with it, but like, keep it more private? Why was that like really important for you? That's a great question. I think it was, I don't know if that it was really important to me when I first started. So yeah. I, when I came to consciousness, it was really sudden. Uh, Obviously, there was a lot of factors at play that kind of led into that moment, um, but it just kind of happened. And then I was doing a lot of learning. I wasn't sharing, but I was doing a lot of learning and then just happened to fall into podcasting and the John Chi Show. Mm -hmm. And so we started the John Chi Show, quick origin, uh, myself and KJ and Nathan were all guests on a podcast called Dear Asian Americans at different times in 2020. And it was the host of that show who decided that we should all do a show together. And he is not adopted. He's a, a Korean American. But he um, funny though. You were you were all like blind date set up there. That oh was, yeah. Like, total, I, I like to yes. say that our first so we had our first Zoom meeting in July and I walked away from that meeting like this ain't gonna happen. Like this is awkward. Like I'm like I'm like, <laughs> I don't know these guys. This is really strange. And I'm like, I don't I don't know if the chemistry is there. But we just kept meeting and we kept meeting and we finally just started to do the branding work and all this different stuff to get ready. And in September, we launched. And that was just the second time that I ever shared publicly my own story. I wasn't even sharing on Instagram. It wasn't until November, so National Adoption Adoptee Awareness Month of 2020, that I started to share on social media. But through the podcast, that was where I first started to have these conversations and talk about my own story in this way. And like I said, at that time, it wasn't really, it didn't strike me as important to share publicly. It was more so that it was just a good outlet and avenue for me to just talk about it. And then not only to talk about my own story, but to really be able to talk with KJ Nathan and the guests that we had on at that time about their stories and then use what I was learning from other people to inform my own journey. 
So at this point, I would consider myself in reclamation. Mm -hmm. and, and it was like going through the process of reclaiming my identity, reclaiming my story and all of these different things. And it was through podcasting that I started to understand the importance of sharing publicly. And I don't think that it's not for everybody. Like I, not everybody shares. It's really, like you said, personal and intimate stuff that comes up in this journey. It's really hard work. Um, but it didn't, it wasn't necessarily that I thought there was a lack of these things or that we, I needed to do this. It was just more so the fact that part of it was seeing the reaction from other folks to the podcast. And then when I started to share on social media, particularly Instagram, seeing the likes and the comments from other people and those stuff, those things start to come in. And I had a, like a little weird relationship with those vanity metrics for a while, but mm -hmm. that's when I started to understand like the reach of what you can do when you share your story publicly. And it would take me a while to really find a good and appropriate balance for how I was doing that. Um, but at that time it was more so just like, oh, this is resonating with a lot of people. And I didn't really think about that when I started. And so as more of that resonance became apparent to me, it was like, okay, there, this is important work to be done. And whether I'm doing it or whether somebody else is doing it, you know, it, hopefully somebody's out there doing it. And, you know, I learned that there were many people doing so. So that's kind of how that importance came about. We all know that there's been a really positive response to what you're putting out there, but I'm curious on like the flip side, was there any time that you were met with obstacles or challenges doing this work or has there ever been any feedback that has been not as accepting? That's an interesting question. Um, what in my three years of doing this, I actually feel like I haven't received, I've received maybe like 0.1% negative feedback. And I chalk it up to male privilege a little bit. I chalk it up to that because when I see women or femme presenting or LGBTQ adoptees sharing their story, like you can hop in the comments real quick and see kind of the vitriol yeah. and the yeah. backlash that comes from that. For whatever reason, I didn't really experience a lot of that. Like mm -hmm. very, very, very little, even in the podcast, like people were not coming out of the woodwork to leave negative comments on my posts or like speak out against the podcast and what we were sharing because we were sharing some challenging stories and it was, so I find it very interesting because just personally, I haven't necessarily had to navigate the negativity, the, the negative aspects of yeah. what it means to share in this way, especially to share like a counter narrative to this dominant, mm -hmm. uh, positive narrative of adoption. I think that, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I, I hadn't really thought about like, what that meant until probably two years in when I just started to like go through some of my old posts and think of, and I was like reflecting on content that I had put out and thinking about and seeing really that there wasn't a lot of this negativity that I would see on other people's stuff. And I felt really privileged and grateful to, to be able to experience that it that way. But it also made me realize why it's important to amplify and stand up for and be in support of other people who are sharing. Because if like, for whatever reason I have, I don't know if it's a shield, but some barrier to like these people who are like, I'm not going to write on his post, but I'm going to write over here on these people's posts. Like I found that it, I, we talk about, we're talking about importance. Like I found it important to be able to show people support in that way. And like, honestly, nobody wants to have people saying negative things about them, but, and I haven't come out and really said this explicitly, but you know, I welcome those people to come and, and say stuff because it gives it's, it's an opportunity to share like, and teach it's like teachable moments. It's, a, it's an opportunity to share lessons and it's an opportunity to, to push back. And if I can do that in the scope of my work, and then amplify some of the folks who have been receiving on the receiving end of this backlash, because it happens to a lot of people who don't have big followings. Yeah. Like that's yeah. where I feel like it comes in at. And while it took me, it's taken me, you know, the three years to get to where I am with my own following, like for whatever reason, somebody could have a hundred followers are just starting to do this. And then somebody will come out almost assuredly an adoptive parent, like, and have some stuff to say. And yeah. it's like, 
It's like I'm picking on the that. little guys. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And if I can lift that person up in whatever way and share, like, that's what I want to do. And so like, that's been the challenge for me is recognizing why that's important and trying to just be cognizant and aware of all the folks who are sharing, because it takes a, like you said, it takes a lot of courage and bravery to share publicly, even on Instagram, even if you don't even share like your real name or, you know, you don't put a picture on your profile yeah. or whatever it is. Like, it's still difficult. It's still hard. And those things affect you. Yeah. And, you know, I've been really lucky to not have to deal with that a lot personally. So if I can use that privilege to then help somebody else, you know, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I love that you named that. And I think you said, I like the term you use. I think you said vanity metrics. I think, I mean, mm-hmm. I think to call it out what it is, is super important too. Even within our community, sometimes I think that people feel they have to have experienced a certain level or a certain type of trauma within this experience to be able to be seen as valid or worthy in this, these social spaces. And what's so infuriating to me is that we're so much better when we just are, we embrace everybody. Like we are truly a community and we all need to be supportive and uplifting of one another. We all, all of us can relate and feel in our bones and our bodies and our souls, the relinquishment, the Mm. loss, the grief. And so you can't like level up from that. Like all of us have that shared bond, unfortunately, like a trauma bond and that, that lived experience. And so I sometimes I feel like there's this weird com- competition or like weird competitiveness and that like, honestly, like it breaks me. I just have to take yeah. breaks off social media because I can't, I feel that. And when we really should be lifting each other up, all of our voices are, are important in this conversation. I appreciate you saying that a hundred percent could not agree more. I was snapping. I don't know if this video will go out, but like, <laughs> that's the, t- that's the tip that I'm on right now is like, we can't do the work of invalidating each other, regardless of where we fall on the spectrum of our experiences and our relationship with adoption. Like we have enough of that happening already. And totally. if we are doing it to each other, we're only setting ourselves further back in terms of like where we want to go and like what we really want to do and how we want to change this narrative about what it means to be an adoptee or a former foster youth or just be a part of this community. Yeah. If we want to be validated, we have to validate each other. And we right. can do so much more healing together. Yes. Like we talking a lot about community care. Like we can do so much more together in community if we can validate each other's experience, whether it's someone who's had a wholly negative experience validating that someone with a positive experience still has whatever it might be that they can resonate with, but it's not like their positive experience is now invalidating this person's negative experience. It's that we all exist within this larger fabric of the community and it goes beyond experiences to like the ethnic and racial dynamics, the different identities that we hold. Like we are so much more powerful when we realize the just scope of what this community is 100%. and yeah, we just don't do it enough. And like, yeah. that's where I want to go right now with our community is just like, how do we make sure we're validating each other mm-hmm. and moving forward? In that yeah. Way. And I yeah. think it's so hard too, right. When historically, like we have been so invalidated by mm. society as a whole, right. Or even within our adoptive families or other relationships, like that is in my opinion, like that's learned stuff. Right. So it becomes really easy to as soon as there's something that doesn't totally mirror, right, to just be like, oh, no, that's not legit, right? Like yep. that yep. it somehow takes something away from me, it takes something yep. away from my experience when, you know, I know I've said this before on the podcast, like I'm I'm team adoptee, like every, every day of the week, right? Like that, mm. whether your experience mirrors mine, whether there's differences, whether there's stuff that, you know, is very, very, you know, on, on the mark, like that's, that's what we need to be doing. And I think that, you know, that is the the definition of advocacy work. It can't just be picking and choosing, you know, right. oh, well, like, this is what I identify with. And this is what I'm going to advocate for. Like, it has to be, you know, if we really want to see reform and change and all of those things, like, it has to be all encompassing in that way. Yeah, I mean, you could be in your lane of advocacy. And but you have to understand that you that advocacy all feeds into this larger umbrella yes. that we're all a part of. And for whatever reason, we like to find ourselves in silos because I think our experiences are so specific that when we find people who share that specific experience, it feels like, okay, that's the community. And it's like, well, that is the community and a larger, but it's part of, it's a smaller part of this larger whole. And when we can realize, oh, we're like 
we can all do this work and however we do it individually or as a group, we can all do this concurrently side by side in parallel. Like we are yeah. all then moving forward instead of like, we're like intersecting and like bat like knocking each other back. Like we can't okay. be doing that because we already have these barriers in place that are yeah. knocking us back. Well, I think rigidity in itself is a trauma response. And so if I know that I can control this little space and this is what my identity is around because it's very rigid and it's very controlled, then I'm creating this illusion of safety that this is my identity and that anybody who like doesn't match this is like, then like they can't possibly understand my trauma, right? It's like right. a way to protect ourselves. Yeah. But what I love about your content is that you keep us in the space of like, curiosity. You're not saying, hey, you have to feel this way if you're an adoptee or you will feel this way if you're an adoptee. You're saying, hey, I'm offering my experience as an offer. So if you can just like see this and be curious about this, then it opens up so many avenues to have conversation like, oh, maybe I relate to this piece or maybe your child might experience this or maybe as a clinician, you'll encounter people who have felt this way or have experienced this before. So how can we, if we know that somebody on the spectrum is feeling this way or has felt this way, then it gives us a lot of room to be creative. Okay, well then how can we offer support? How can we like be really creative in how we we do care or how we raise raise kids who've had this experience? Because we know that someone on the spectrum has experienced this, right? So it's valid, it makes sense. So I, I love that your content really keeps us in that space of curiosity and really does a beautiful job of kind of pulling people out of the, that rigidity those rigid spaces, which, and it's, I just, I believe is just a trauma response. I really appreciate you saying that. I think something that I learned early on is that there can't be one representative of an entire community, whether that's adoptees, yeah. whether that's like the black experience, the LGBTQ experience, whatever it is, like we all can be representatives of the community, but our experience is not the representation of said community. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes a community is all the different experiences that there are. And I think through like learning that lesson taught me that if I'm going to talk publicly, when I'm talking about an experience, I have to talk about it from my experience. And I can't say, and I always, I feel like I shouldn't have to caveat this every time, but I do just because I want to be clear that my experience is not the one that is the end all be all for what it means to be adopted, what it means to be Asian American, what it means to be Korean American. Like it is just one. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I appreciate you saying that, Amy, is like, you know, if people can use this experience as an example to like inform the work that they do in terms of like how they recognize what somebody else might be going through. It's not that they're going through the exact same thing as me, but hopefully there are signs or beacons or whatever that they can recognize and be like, oh, OK, like this is he talked about this and I think maybe they're experiencing something similar. And so that's, I, I just really appreciate you sharing that and saying that because like I learned really quickly that if you try to represent a whole community, the community is going to push back on that and you're not, and you're going to do more harm than good yeah. because it becomes about you. It becomes about me and less about we, and we have to be about the we, if we're going to actually change this narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Just like letting that all sink in because I think that's that's valid. I think that makes so much sense. I think that makes so much sense. When I think it saves us, you know, as the as the individuals who are, you know, putting stuff out there. Like I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, making an Instagram post like isn't necessarily super hard, but like there's it's like emotional labor. Like it's difficult yes. figuring out like what is the wording that I want to use and like what's the caption I want to write and like how do I want to like put this out? Like it like there's an emotional load to it. And even if we've gotten really confident and comfortable with sharing stuff, I think, you know, I can speak for myself. Like I still worry of like, oh, like, is somebody going to say something about this? Or like, how is this going to be received? Or like, is this going to ruffle feathers? Right? Like there's still all of those things that people I think don't realize behind the scenes, whether it's with, you know, preparing a presentation or whether it's with, you know, deciding on podcast topics. It's like all of that stuff can be so 
taxing. And I think that exactly what you're saying of if we're able to focus on the we, it helps to have like a, like a guiding light of like, this isn't about me. Like this is something that's for the greater good. This is something that like, doesn't just have to be, oh my gosh, like my life is going to end if I get like some nasty comments on this. Right. Cause I think, and I've known a lot of adoptees over the years, like they get some not so great comments and like that totally turns them off to wanting to do any of this, which like is heartbreaking. Cause like, you're being silenced. And like, that is something that we've all already had to experience so many other times. And, you know, I think it's really important that, um, you know, people can be grounded into that. We, you know, collective. Well, and how, how difficult and painful is it when those comments come from within the community that you're trying to find yourself a part of, you know, like that's why that invalidation from within is so painful is because, we are then silencing these other voices who are just are not just like us, but are just like share this lived experience. And like, yeah. this is their first time trying to share. And then here comes somebody who's like, Oh, you don't think about adoption correctly. Like your experience is not that great or whatever it is like, and just invalidation and validation and validation. And it's like, why would you want to continue to be a part of this? When I was uh, in college and I was still like in this deep rejection of my identity I had other Asian people at Purdue tell me when I told them I was adopted, they would tell me, oh, so you're not really Asian. Why would I want to go and try to explore Asian culture or be part of this community when other Asian people are telling me that I am not part of it? Mm -hmm. So like that kept me within like this internalized mindset of like, oh, I want to be white or I'm uncomfortable being around other Asian folks because that's what it was like. And that's what people were telling me. And what I've learned now is that those three, four people who told me that are also not representative of the entire community. But at that time, that was my representation of what it meant to be Asian American was like, oh, these people are like not that great and they don't like adopted people. So like, I'm not going to be a part of that. And just because of those few interactions, like now I find myself rejecting that and instead of trying to find ways to embrace it. Mm -hmm. And so when we do the invalidation work within like we really, really set ourselves back and we do so much more harm than we think of like the good that well, the good intention behind our malicious comment, mm-hmm. our invalidating comment. Yeah. I think at the core of our human experience, all of us adopted or not need like in a very real way to be seen and to know that like that affirmation that it makes sense who we are, like our existence yes. makes sense we're meant to be like our voice is worthy and deserving to take up space. And any time that someone chips away at that, it can have like, like the, the consequences can be so detrimental because 100%. our like fear response, our protective parts, then like you just said, go into mo- the mode where like, Oh, everybody who has this Asian experience now is going to think this of me. Right. Like yep. we kind of lump it together. We kind of move back at like what we were just saying, like into that rigid space. Um, and we, we, we forget that there's like other avenues to explore and to reclaim. And it's just that much harder then to start reclaiming our own identities back and be, to be curious, because now we pair that with this sense of like, that feels threatening, that feels dangerous. And why do I want to be curious about who I am at the core? If every time I like turn inward, I'm either punished, I'm shamed, I'm told that I'm not enough or I'm not worthy. And so, yeah, I think that I'm glad that you highlighted that because I, I I think that it's so, so key that we're, we're just like uplifting and just really seeing the human in one another in this. A hundred percent. Yeah. And this is hard work because like Marcella was saying, this is just like a huge emotional flex every time, regardless of what's motivating us to this work. So I'm curious how you take care of yourself. And I'm sure there's days where you're just like, I don't have the energy to have one more conversation (laughs) about adoption, right? Like if we're real about it. And even though we love these conversations, these are meaningful and important conversations, we all have our boundaries. And sometimes we have other stuff that's just pulling from our cup and, and, you know, things can kind of just push us past our window of tolerance a little bit, but I'm curious, how do you take care of yourself doing this work? Yeah. So when I first started like self-care or taking care of myself was really hard to come by. I didn't realize like I needed to step away. And Mm -hmm. so the biggest thing is like recognizing when this is weighing on me and then be being aware and making the choice, like, okay, I can put this down and go be with, my family, be with my wife, hang out with my friends, go do something else, not think about this. Mm -hmm. And understanding that this work is always going to be here when I return. 
Like if I put it down, like the world doesn't stop because I'm putting it down. Like there are so many other people out here doing this work. And that is part of that care is like the self-care aspect of it as part of this larger community care. The community's taking care of me when I'm away because they're just doing the work. Like other yeah. people are doing it. Um, the other thing, and this is more of a recent part of self-care is therapy. Shout out therapy. I've been saying that I'm literally like the last 10 podcasts that I've recorded, like got to keep talking about it. We didn't it. pay him to say that as therapist either. So no, that like, was his own accord. Yes, it is. It has been truly one of, if not the most impactful thing on my own personal, like mental health and even physical health, but just like getting me to understand and recognize that there are things in my control there are things out of my control and by going to therapy it's allowed me the space to be able to talk about those things and to get them out in a safe you know comfortable space and I can like leave that there and so therapy like just being able to go like I, when I started it was right after I came back from Korea uh in July of t last year and there was just like a whole bunch of shit had happened, a whole bunch of stuff had happened. And I was like, okay, I need to, I think this is the time that I start this. So I've been really afraid to go to therapy for a long time, even after I came to the community and shout out to the community for giving me so much good uh, advice and recommendations and, and just ways into starting this journey. And I just got really, really, really lucky um, I narrowed it down to two people. One of those people was the right person and she's been with me the whole time. I started going every week and I needed to go every week. And now I'm on every other week. And like, we, we didn't necessarily set out for that, but we worked towards that. Even if it wasn't stated, it was just yeah. like, that's how I know therapy has been working for me is because like, I've been able to reduce the amount that I have to go. And then the things, the resources, the tools that I've developed in there have allowed me, I've like using them outside of therapy. It's not like, I'm just like, Oh, I go to therapy. This is where I work on myself. And then everything else just falls by the wayside. When I leave, it's like, Oh, yeah. I carry these things with me. And yeah. so when I need to care for myself outside of the therapist office, I can do that. Yeah. And now I've gotten to this point where it's like, we're even just talking about, oh, do you want to, you know, are you, do you think you're ready to change the frequency again? And I was like, eh, I think, I, I think I'm good <laughs> with this right now. I'm about to have a kid. So we might up the frequency back yeah, to right. once, yeah, once yeah. they get here. But um, yeah, therapy has been huge because it helped me go from like this tumultuous period that I found myself in in July um, where I was in this method or mode of self-acceptance which I had then realized through therapy that I had mistaken for self-love. And so moving from acceptance to self-love, I am now in like this, uh, I am now a more whole version of myself than I've ever been, even through the past three years of doing this work. And like being that version of me is in itself care. And so, and I can more easily take care of myself, recognize when I need to take care of myself and then implement and do those things that I've learned in therapy. So shout out okay. therapy. It's I feel like Amy and I were just having the same reaction. <laughs> Dude, I have to step in here real quick and say something. I have got to, I think I'm the oldest one here. So I don't know if this is just like big sister energy coming through, but like we literally, okay. So on social media, we know who we are, but this is our first interaction. Like this is our first conversation. Sure. And when I tell you that I was getting emotional hearing you say that, yeah. I'm, I'm like my, I'm literally fighting back tears, which I don't know why I'm fighting it. Like if I'm feeling it, I just <laughs> have to be present with it, but it means so much to me as an adoptee who's doing this work as a clinician to hear somebody else doing this, to have such an amazing, powerful yeah. life altering experience. This is why I get up every single day and do the work that I do. I cannot tell you, like, I don't want this to sound like the condescending in any way. Like I'm so effing proud of you. I think that to be able to to stand up and to be able to to look this stuff in the face, I don't think people who aren't touched by this experience, I don't think people can conceptualize how big of a yeah. deal this is, how absolutely terrifying this is. So kudos to you. I think that that's super brave. I think it's super powerful. And um, you're literally changing the world for your future child, right? Like for your child entering sure, your yeah literally changing the life of what, who they are going to become because of the healing that you're doing. Like, I really believe that you're changing the world. And I don't mean that to sound cheesy. I, I believe that with my whole heart and soul. And, um, I don't know. I, I just, 
when you said, I just feel like I'm just becoming like who I'm meant to be. And I feel so whole like that to me, just, I'm just so happy that one of my brothers in this community has that experience where they can get in touch with a part of them that feels whole. Like, that's just what I want for everybody in our community. Like, that's just what I want at the end of the day. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for saying that. I've, (laughs) I really, really appreciate it. Like, you're right. It's hard stuff. Like this is hard work and you are on the opposite end of like watching people go through it, having, having went through it yourselves. And like, when I tell you those early sessions were scary and it was hard to really like, shout out to my therapist specifically for making a space for me to do this. She's not an adoptee, but she is Asian American. And, but she like, created this space for me to be able to go through the journey that I needed to go through and help me when like I needed to be there. Like, like when I needed to get to a certain point, like she didn't force it upon me. She like walked with me to reach those periods. And there were some times where I'm just like, I'm just like weeping. I'm like, I don't know why I'm feeling all of this. And like, it was just, it was a struggle for a minute. And then I don't want to say I'm on an other, I'm on the other side of anything, you know, like I'm, I'm just still constantly going through it, but like I am because of those hard, hard moments. And I want to make no qualms about it. Like it's hard work. I think there are some people who feel like you go to therapy, you get fixed and then it's done. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that's like the TV version of going to therapy. And what it really is, is like truly confronting the things inside of you and just trying to understand it in a way that maybe doesn't even make sense but it's just like you can then walk with it i'm trying to i'm trying to drop get getting over something or moving past something out of my vocabulary because at the end of the day i think you can't ever like you truly get over stuff like you're you can figure out ways to walk with it and that's what i like that's why i feel more whole because i can look back in my past at young patrick and take his hand and walk with him through all of this stuff. And it is a little bit like time travel. I'm a big sci-fi person. Like it does feel like I can move back and forth on my timeline and see myself and be like, actually give grace to that version of me, which I think I was saying for like the past two years pre-therapy that I was doing because I've heard those that, that language and heard people sharing their experiences of being able to give grace to their younger versions. I'm like, oh, I like that. I'm going to like, I think I'm at that point to be able to do that, but I wasn't. And so going to therapy helped me to be able to start actually being able to do that. And that's the thing about like illusions is it's easy to feel like you hear something, you say something, and then you just regurgitate it. But to actually truly move in it, you know, is a completely different thing. And I wish, and I hope for everyone listening and just everyone in the world that they're able to find themselves into that. Because it's truly been life-changing just even in the last six months. And I don't know where I would be had I not done that and going into pregnancy, like getting ready to have a kid now and thinking like, okay, I still would be, I still feel like I would be able to do it, but I don't, I don't know, like the version of myself that would be doing it at that point, because I'm just now in this whole, this, the sense of wholeness. Totally. Yeah. And I think that I mean, what you're talking, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say like that embodiment, like that embodiment. We're on the same, we're on the same page. I was going (laughs) to say, right. It's like what you were describing, right. And this is like, you know, Amy and I therapist lingo talking, right. But like it's embodiment, right. Like pre-therapy it was, yeah, I could like cognitively say the things that I needed to do and kind of like I knew the script, right. But there is such a difference between that and like heart, mind, body, soul, like integrating, embodying, like making that a part of yourself, yeah. right? And I think that that is like such a thing that is really hard for adoptees because like we we know a lot of scripts, right? Like we've been right. told the script most of our life and like we're really good at repeating it and we're really good at, you know, downplaying certain stuff and like the feelings, emotional category. And so to be able to, you know, sit and hold space for that stuff and to make that not just something that is like, oh, I'm doing this because I have to, but it's like, I'm doing this because I know that it helps me. And I I know that it helps, you know, my system as a whole, I think is a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, it's, it's such a, 
it's such a, a personal journey, but I appreciate you talking about it. And I have to just make point of, you know, I, I, I work with a lot of, you know, female adoptees, you know, male adoptees are, are much less in my experience. Sure. And just overall, like, I think that that is a lot harder and you guys have your own set of barriers of what makes that hard to engage in therapy and to be able to go there. Cause there's all of these stigmas and all of these pressures that you guys face. And um, I think that it is like a beautiful thing to see somebody embrace all of that and be like, you know what, like that actually really helped. And like, you know, you being able to talk about like, oh my gosh, like I'm walking with little Patrick, like, oh my gosh, I would love <laughs> if like everybody could talk in that way and like have that level of compassion and just like self-love that you're talking about. Like that is something that no matter gender, race, ethnicity, whatever, like all of us, in my opinion, like are worthy and deserving of that. Like that is just like a right that we all have. Yeah. Our, our kids in general, I think have put so much pressure on us, whether we're adopted or not. Like there's so many different narratives out there. Like, oh, if you're, you know, identify this gender, you need to show up in this way or this race, this way, whatever it is. And, you know, kind of just to piggyback off what Marcelo was saying, typically, I don't have as many male um, clients either. And I think the part of that is just because there's this narrative, this dominant narrative that men are just strong and you push through it and you're going to be okay and you just suck it up. Or if yes. you do open up and talk about your emotions, you're too sensitive or, you know, heaven mm -hmm. forbid, or, you know, who knows. But I, I think that you're just uh, such a beautiful example again of just, you know, normalizing for people. Hey, it's scary, but, you know, you can do it even if you identify as, as, a, as a man and, and that, you know, you know, you also deserve to kind of have these same moments of clarity and connection to yourself. And I think that's so beautiful. And I'm thinking too, like, adoptees I think are some of the most critical people I know like self-critics right like yeah. constantly yep. shaking ourselves <laughs> like these critical parts are like no you didn't do that well enough you're going to fall out of attachment or no you need to be a better this and we're constantly dissecting and pulling apart like ourself and and you know trying to just you know create status quo so we don't get pushed out of relationship or connection right. again. like that push and pull is so heavy on our systems and uh, I think when I hear you, I can like just see you light up and like you, your whole body actually like kind of softens. And mm -hmm. there, I, I feel like your that critical part of you is is kind of taking a break now. And I love hearing you talk with so much self compassion. And again, this is just what I want for for people to be able to experience this. And of course, there's no destination. This is a lifelong thing. But um, so cool that you've been exploring this too before your child is born. Cause what, what bigger life altering moment than entering parenthood as an adoptee and right. confronted with a lot of big things, right? Like <laughs> yep. maybe this is the first time we're in touch with biological connection right. or, you know, did my birth family feel this way? And what was, what were they going through? I know this is such a critical time. So just wishing you so much peace and, and, um, and love and support as you, as you transition into this next chapter and, and I hope that this could, this continues to be a positive experience for you and therapy is so cool. So cool. Well, I appreciate that. Shout out therapy, shout out both of you for doing this work and leading other adoptees, leading other folks to the points that I'm at right now. You know, it's, if people weren't doing it, particularly from our community, like it would be that much harder to achieve yeah. and to reach. So shout out to both of you for doing that work, for stepping into it and being willing to lead and being willing to do that. And hopefully finding ways of care for yourselves, whether it's taking breaks from the podcast or whatever it is, <laughs> like finding ways for that. I care, feel like we're you know, getting like called out too. right here. Amy. <laughs> I know, we're getting called out a little bit here. No call, no call outs, always call ins, always call ins. Love that reframe. I literally talked to Marcella yesterday in a little bit of a panic, like I have too much on my plate. What's happening? <laughs> yeah. like, so like, we have all the tools in our toolkit. Yeah. Yeah. Even as therapists with the tools in our toolkit, we're still human and we still have our own strategies that our systems run. And I am like the last person on the planet to like lean in and just take care of myself. So I appreciate your reminder and I will. Yes. Thank you for saying working that. on it. We're working on it. <laughs> Always working on it. We're working Always on it together. Working on it. Yeah. Here. The, the work though, that you do and using your voice to really talk about identity, I think pulls so many people in. It resonates with so many, it resonates with me. I know it resonates with so yeah. many people. And from there, you've been able to do some like really cool advocacy work. What has been some of the, fa your favorite things and projects that you've been able to do? 
Um, so when I worked on some adoptee citizenship stuff, that was really powerful. Uh, I will say that it was also a trying time for mm. a variety of reasons, but I really did enjoy learning and discovering about the history of this legislation, just a history of the citizenship stuff in general. Uh, there's a lot there. And unfortunately, it's just this hidden situation from so many people, like people just don't know, even within our community. So I really enjoyed working on that. I've taken a break from being like a forefront advocate in on the citizenship space. There are organizations and people doing that. And, you know, like they should continue to do that and lead. And I'll just support wherever I can. Um, the other stuff has really just been like the my favorite things are being able to gather and doing work here in Indiana and in Indianapolis specifically, trying to build spaces for adoptees in this city, in this state where, you know, I call home and being able to come together and just even have meals or whatever it is, just be in the same physical space has been really important to me. Probably if I had to pick a favorite, probably that it's just been so powerful to watch some folks come out and share for the very first time. Like Indiana doesn't get a lot of shine. Midwest does not get a lot of shine for the people that are here, the stories that exist here. And unfortunately, if we're going to do it, we got to do it ourselves. And so mm -hmm. if I can use the, the, the resources and platforms that I've been able to build over the last few years to elevate this group here and to bring people together here, um, it really means a lot to me. That's like what I'm particularly passionate about as we move into 2024, because, you know, with my kid, I want them to be able to have that too. Like I want them to have something I never did. And if, when I think about legacy and I think about advocacy, if there's anything that I could leave for my future generations and future generations of adoptees or even Asian Americans, it's a connected, visible, coalition of people of different people of different diasporas that is just there when you need it and yeah. so like especially people from indiana don't feel like they have to run away to new york or la to find culture community connection they have it here they grew up with it they know that it's here they can go out and explore a hundred percent you should do that but then know that you can come back here and it, it was always here and you can direct people here if you want like whatever it looks like and so that is from an advocacy standpoint, some of my favorite work has just been finding ways to bring people together and to be a part of that myself. Yeah. That community is like such a, like a value, a core value of yours. And I love that. It's such a, I think for us too, that's something that we hold so near and dear to our hearts. So I love that you share that and what, a, like talk about helping people feel seen, right. Letting them yeah. know not only is it here, like you are that community, like you define what that community looks like and what a gift to be able to open people's eyes to that. And shout out to the Midwest, grew up in Milwaukee, live in the Twin Cities. Like Midwest is my, I love being back in the Midwest. And Shout it out. Shout it out. I think you're right. It's like the best kept secret. The Midwest <laughs> culture is the best. I totally 100%. Yeah. So what, like, it sounds like you were talking a little bit about your legacy, but what would be some things that you would love to see in the advocacy work? Like, is there anything outside of what you've already said that you would love to see yourself do more of, or maybe our community do something or what would be like a really cool. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, so I have like, there's one specific thing and I think it's just the overarching goal for all of us, uh, which is narrative change. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I want to continue to be involved in that, but I've been talking about it like this and, and recently, and just because of my my own work and just sitting and ruminating on it, like what it takes to actually change the narrative. And it's like, we as just people are so used to tangible change. So I talk about the Citizenship Act, like that's like if legislation changes, that's tangible. Like we can see that, we can quantify it. And it feels yeah. really good. Like when that passes, it'll feel really good. And even when it passed in the house, like it felt really good that it yeah. got that far, um, even though it ultimately did not go all the way through. Um, and that's great. Like those tangible changes, we need those things so we can celebrate them. We can look at them. We can have data and statistics to then use to change other things in the future. That's great. But narrative change is intangible. And I think a lot of us don't realize that intangibility is impossible to quantify without centuries of time to be able to look back and see that. And when I think about the intangibility of narrative change and like what we need to do to create that. 
I think about our community as it is, as it's, as it's been and as it is now and where we need to go. And I think, and this is not a call out of anyone's in any, anyone in particular, but I think what I've seen and from my perspective is we are very caught up in our own silos within the community specifically. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if we are going to change narratives, we have to be able to come under some umbrella where we are communicating with each other. We are connected in a way that we just are not currently. And we are able to do sustainable work to mm -hmm. change, to shift that narrative from an organizational level. Mm -hmm. And that looks like media. It looks like film and television, but it also looks like the stories that are being written. It looks like stuff like comic books and graphic novels. I just talked to Sarah Meyer. She's a Korean adoptee comic book artist. She put out a graphic novel called Monstrous, a transracial adoption story. One of my all-time favorite depictions of an adoptee's experience that I've ever seen. Mm. Um, we need more stuff like that. And because it like, it'll last the, the, it'll, the test of time. And we have to continue to build off of those things. I think something that hurts us when it comes to changing this intangible narrative is again, sustainability. And we, uh, so I came to consciousness as part of the pandemic group. I don't, I've never said that before, but I'm calling us the pandemic group. Uh, I feel like there is a cohort though, where like yeah, all these adoptees sure. went online. I think that's yes. a free, like, yep. There was nothing else to do. Yeah. Very, Other very true. Come out of consciousness. <laughs> I'm part of that group. And what was happening at that time was so much new, so much new creation, so much new sharing, which is great. However, I've, as I've learned and, and grown and then had been able to take a wide perspective of this larger community, I see a lot of new without either recognition of what's come before yeah. or new creation where it's runs parallel with what's already there. And so we're not building on top of, we're not building in furtherance of who has already been here. And if I could, if we can do anything, it would be to find ways to all work together. I think that's been one of the through lines of this conversation has been like, how do we come together as a full community as opposed to just the different silos that we're in? And if we're going to actually change this dominant narrative, we have to be able to do all of that together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I've got a lot of things on my mind that I want to say, but one of them is I want to specifically call out this statistic in 2000. The U.S. Census, for the first time ever, uh, started to count adopted family members in households. Mm -hmm. At that time, in 2000, there were 5 million people who listed as adopted people. So adoptees. I'm calling them adoptees. That's just domestic. When we think about, when, when we think about that number, like, that is huge. And here's the thing. I'm a Korean adoptee. I come from the largest international group of which is of 200,000. And that's a, that's a big number. It pales in comparison to 5 million. It pales in comparison to what that number actually is. When you include former foster youth, it pales in comparison to what we could actually be. If we were willing to consider what it looks like to be part of this whole group and to welcome everyone in and work together does not mean that we have to, all do the same things. We shouldn't. We need all the different perspectives on the spectrum. We need all the different organizations who have specialties in this and that and the other. We need all of that. But we also have to recognize, not but, and we also have to recognize that all of these things should be working in tandem and concurrently together to move forward because that's how we're going to change the narrative because then that's how we, we find ways to create sustainability, whether it's, because from a media perspective, like we can't just have one story, a one-off thing. Can't just have like a Blue Bayou or a Joyride, even if they were done exactly the way that we wanted them to be done. Right. Like that's just one thing. What are we doing next? How are right. we continuing to build? And that goes a little bit further out, like even outside of our community to other communities who give us access and opportunity investment to do those things. And like we have to be ready to pick the ball up and have this strategic plan to continue to go further. We, I, I started this by talking about the tangible changes. Like those movies are tangible changes. 
and they're just one blip. We have to string those tangible changes together to be able to change the intangible. Because at the end of the day, in our lifetime, we're not going to know how that narrative has shifted. Yes, there could be more adoptees sharing. Every one of us could share. And that's for sure going to change something. And like, if we're not, but if we're not all working together, we're 5 million voices just shouting into the void. Mm -hmm. If we don't have platforms and, and ways to pull these things together and show other people how all of this is connected and interrelated to their experiences, mm -hmm. like those things aren't going to change. Totally. And if we're only operating on our own, like they, we are, we are unintentionally doing the work of invalidation because if we get the investment and we get the amplification here, if we are also not lifting up the other people because we're not working in tandem, yes. Yeah. They are getting, they are going to be invalidated because the people who are giving that are going to say, okay, we have our adoptee representation. It's right yeah. here. We don't yes. need them. We yes. don't need them. Yes. And we're already seeing that happen now. Yeah. And so we have to figure out how do we work together to change the intangible? Totally. And we have to understand it's a long game. Like yeah. it's not just in the next five years. This is, I'm talking like 50 years. I'm yeah. talking like 70 years. And I would love for it to happen faster, but History shows us that it's not how it works. Right. The slow games. Total yeah, slow You're games. bringing up, like, uh, this is the hill I will die on, what you're talking about right now. Like, this is the exact yeah. hill. Like, I'm on the top dying. This is, like, where I'm, like, I will shout this till the day I die. And it's so infuriating. Like, both Marcella and I have social work degrees. We are licensed clinical social workers. And in our social work programs, bachelors and masters, there's almost virtually zero talk about child welfare. Mm. Which is mind boggling because I think when people think about social workers, they think of the baby snatchers that go in your home and like take kids. Yeah. And then we don't even talk about it in our programs, right? There is no wound, I don't think, that hits the soul deeper than relinquishment and loss of primary caregivers. I just don't. I'm a trauma therapist. I see so many different kinds of trauma. I'm not trying to compare. That's not what I'm doing. But I'm just saying there's something unique about this specific type of trauma. Yeah. We don't talk about it. And so who are we allowing to create the narrative around how we have these conversations? It's not because there's a void of voices or experience. It's just that we're not allowed a seat at the table to our own experience. And that in itself, like we have to flip that, like, like you were saying, like that, like access to how these conversations are being, or these stories are being told. But I do want to offer a slice of hope um, to what you're saying in the years that I've done this work, I've been doing this work a lot longer than I've been in private practice. And um, I've been in child welfare spaces from anywhere for foster care all the way up now to private practice, but it's always been within this population. And I do want to say that not only do I do therapy, I do a lot of consultations with prospective adoptive parents or mm. adoptive parents who have are in the post-adoptive phase and really struggling with maybe big behaviors or connection with their kids. And in the last couple months, and I've noticed this, and I don't know if why the last couple months, but I've had a lot more consultations with prospective adoptive parents recently that have come to me and said something along the lines of, we want it, we've always wanted to adopt. That's always been a part of our family plan, but we've gotten on social media and we're on TikTok and we're hearing all these adoptees, these adult adoptees share their experience. And we're like, huh maybe we shouldn't be doing this yeah. or maybe we're not doing it from the perspective that we thought like we could just like have a baby and that baby would be ours and they would never remember anything. Yep. So to offer something tangible and to offer some hope, I want to share that we're making people pause. Mm. And at yes. the very least that pause is making people be really curious and a lot more intentional about how they're moving and grooving through becoming adoptive parents. So I want to offer that because yes, at times I do think we are just screaming into a void and we are better at the like power in numbers. We have to build bridges across these silos within our own community. I a hundred percent agree. And I also want to offer that as a slice of hope that we aren't being completely drowned out and that there are people out there who are genuinely listening. I appreciate you yes. sharing that. I appreciate you sharing that. And again, drawing back to our the beginning of our conversation, that's the importance of being able to share publicly. Not everyone's yeah. going to do it, but the people who do do it, you are having an impact beyond what you think that you are. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. It's just, I recently had a conversation with, with some prospective adoptive parents and it was, it really was like a moment where I was just like, wow, 
because like, sometimes I think we get so frustrated and so angry, like people don't listen or our own stuff gets lit up in the process yeah. and it reminds us of what we went through. And so we yeah. just assume we project that onto like other people, just human nature. And so I think that like, I really had this moment of just like, whoa, on the, all the days yeah. that I'm so exhausted and all the days that I'm so fatigued and I feel like I'm, I'm just like saying the same thing over and over. I have to also remember that there's people out there who are genuinely curious and want to do this in a way that is going to like minimize harm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I totally echo that. And I think that even like in with the families that I work with are again, yeah. Uptick in like people reaching out, like just of their own accord for consultations and things, which is awesome. But I think that like some of the things that I hear them say, I'm like, I would not have heard this from somebody five years ago, right? Or like, I would not have had somebody even fathom like booking this consultation or like having some of these questions or wanting to dive a little bit deeper. And so I think that, again, it doesn't mean that we don't want it to all go way faster because it would be lovely (laughs) if it went way faster. Um, But I think that it is being able to ground into those small gains because they they do have ripple effects. It it really does, you know, it, it does make things shift, even though it's slow. I appreciate you both sharing that, and I don't. I don't want people to think after my long diatribe about <laughs> intangible narratives that I'm not hopeful. I am. Yeah. Um. But this really, I mean, just these two examples that you shared, like, does make me more hopeful, you know, and does make me feel like, not that I don't think that it could be accelerated in any way, this process, but like it shows that the process is is taking shape and taking hold. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, definitely didn't get the impression that you weren't hopeful. I think it's just okay, good. for you also to hear, right? As somebody who's being so vulnerable and putting things out into our, into the into the the space, I think it's important for you also to hear that outside of just our community as adoptees, I'll, I'll say for now, just that word that you know, outside of adoptees, I think that your voice is making massive change and massive impact. I think we yeah. all need to have those reminders that you know our voices is, is more powerful than we probably even realize. It is so. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I would love to hear what message maybe you have um, for adoptees as a whole for our community, or maybe a specific message you might have for adoptive parents, or maybe even birth parents tuning in. Yeah, I got messages for everyone. I got I words it. for everybody at all I times. I love it. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so for adoptees, my my message is this: you're not alone in this world, in this experience, in this work that you're in right now, no matter how lonely or isolated you feel in this very moment. Um, I think it's really easy, even when, especially when you start to share and you're trying to find your way in a community that it feels very, it feels like you're on your own. I felt that. Um, But I just want you to know that you're not alone and that you have community somewhere with me, with somebody else, with Amy or Marcella too. It's here. There's community here for you. And I hope that you find it and dare I say you will find it at some point if you continue on in this journey that you're on. So you're not alone mm-hmm. um, for birth and first parents. You're not forgotten. Uh, I want to share that you're not forgotten, even when it seems like adoptees or people in this position have feelings that are less than positive about birth and first families. Um, I see it come up quite often on social media Um and it can be painful and difficult to read, but I want birth and first parents to know that you're not forgotten and also that your part in this process, in this constellation is an important part and that you deserve to have your story told. You have things that we need to hear and it's important for us to recognize you within this as well. Um, for adoptive parents, Listen, uh, you might not always understand and you're not always supposed to understand this experience, but you need to listen to adult adoptees, adoptees in your life. You need to listen to people who carry this lived experience. And it starts right there with listening, especially if you adopt a child from another country or culture, transracially, internationally. You also have to be actively learning about that said culture and modeling that journey for the adoptee in your life. It's not, you can't be doing that in an appropriative manner. You have to do it from a place of appreciation. Mm-hmm. Starts with listening, and then you have to be actively engaging in an appreciative way and appreciating the culture and, and community that the adoptee in your life comes from. 
um, especially if you're struggling with how do you get them to connect. So listen and engage. Yeah. Professionals, also listen. I know you didn't say professionals, but that was on the list oh, of questions, you. so I came That's up okay. That yes. is. Um, we need to hear it. For professionals in this space, and I'm actually, so I actually made this message specifically for professionals who are not, who don't share the lived experience. So mm-hmm. not you, not you both. You already know. You know, I don't need messages for you. You already got it. Um, but for other professionals, yes, you got to listen. It, a lot of stuff starts with listening. Um, and particularly for agencies, organizations, universities, whoever has anything tangentially related pro- programmatically for um, like social work or child welfare or adoption, you got to bring adult adoptees into the fold and have them lead workshops, seminars, keynotes, whatever it is, instead of just repeating from the same old script. Like we talked about it, like we we have we have the scripts that we've been learning from. Who do you think we learned those from? We learned them from y'all. So if we're gonna flip that script, we you gotta bring us in. You gotta bring adult adoptees in who work in this field, who who share these experiences, and you gotta put them in positions to be able to lead these types of things to change that narrative. And just last but not least, professionals, you better pay them. Because if you don't pay them, I'm going to find out and I'm going to come for you. So <laughs> Snaps keep that in mind. That. Yes. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yes, this is this is true, right? Yeah, I guess this, this is very true. No more free labor. None no of more that. free labor. Mm. I love that. I love all that. Those are solid, straight to the point, so spot on. I love everything that you just said and shared. Thank you. I want our listeners to know exactly where they can find you and how they can get in touch with you. You're doing so much work. You're all over the place in like the best of ways. So please let everyone know how they can get in touch or connect with you. Absolutely. You can follow me directly on Instagram at Patrick in the world. You can follow conversation piece on Instagram at conversation pod piece. And you can follow the John Chi show on Instagram at John Chi show. John Chi shows on all those social media platforms actually. So you can find us wherever at John Chi show. Um, I also do a lot of work on LinkedIn. I'm very public on there. That is linkedin.com slash in slash Patrick in the world. Essentially, I'm Patrick in the world wherever you, you want to find me. <laughs> wherever um, he goes, he's Patrick yeah, in the world. Wherever I go, I am Patrick in the world. Uh, that's also my website, patrickintheworld.me. I need to revamp it, but you can find a lot of stuff there as well. And then Conversations website is conversationpeacepod.com. Um, those are all the places. Conversation Peace is also very active on YouTube. All of our episodes go up there on Tuesdays. That's at Conversation Pod Piece on YouTube if you want to go ahead and watch some of those episodes. Amazing. Yeah, awesome. I've learned so much from you today. I continue to learn from you all the time on social media. I'm always um, cheering you on. And, and when I'm swiping, I'm always loving your content so much. Totally. So thank you so much for sharing your time, your heart, your energy with us today. It, it just really does mean a lot. I think that having these conversations is the start to kind of, you know, breaking down, like you said, some of those silos and, and forming more relationships even within our community. So I truly hope that this isn't the last time that we're in connection or conversating, but maybe the beginning of a deeper, more meaningful relationship. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you both for having me on. This was an amazing, fantastic conversation. I always love when I can talk about therapy. Didn't know we were going to talk about it the way we did, but I appreciate it. I learned from both of you as well. And thank you for having this platform for folks to be able to come on and share. You you create a safe space, and it's something that I take a lot of inspiration from. Um, and not only is that safe, and not only is that space safe, but you encourage that bravery to be able to step from safety to bravery and be able to share in the way that. I hopefully shared today. So thank you both for the work that you do and for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We are so happy that you're in community with us and always remember together we have the power to heal broken systems till next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening and tuning into Adoptee's Dish. We want to give a special shout out to Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts, where you can now tune in and find all our episodes. If you like what you heard and want to continue the conversation, you can email us at adoptiesdish at gmail.com or find us at Podcast on Instagram. Please share this podcast, talk with others, and always remember we have the power to heal broken systems. Tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you.